This is episode two in a three-part series. Please be sure to begin with episode one before listening to this episode. This series discusses crime scenes and murder. Listener discretion is advised. This is The Fall Line. Last time, we told you about the life of Chido Garibay Ferreira, a 20-year-old originally from Mexico who'd moved to Northern California with her family when she was small. Her large and close extended family settled in Oliverst and Marysville, near Yuba City, in the Sacramento Valley region. Chido's younger brother, Juni, and her sister, Marisol, were born in California. They all had a chance to grow up around their extended maternal family, the Ferreras. Chido was someone with plans. She was a social, busy young adult who spent time working at a local video store to pay for her car, a Mercury Cougar, and save up for college, which she was supposed to be heading to soon. December of 2005 was a time full of promise. Chido had plans to travel with the rest of her family to Mexico that Christmas. She'd see her biological father there for the first time in nearly two decades. This was something she was excited about, the chance to connect with him. But the time to take that trip wouldn't come. Instead, Chido's family spent December searching for her. Because on December 11th, 2005, while the rest of her relatives were at church, Chido disappeared from her parents' home. She was supposed to have joined them there, but she never arrived. When we spoke to one of Chido's best friends, Ophelia, she explained why she thought that Chido hadn't ridden in the car with the rest of the family to church. I was raised religious to Catholic. But like I said, at that time, I, I wasn't able to go because I was already on my own in my job. And I have to pay my bills, you know, my, my, my rent and all that. Her mom was in the choir, so she would take her and the kids and Chido. But Chido liked going with her mom. So that that day, so it's kind of like, oh, well, we got to go sing the Mañanitas, you know, which is like happy birthday to the Virgin Mary. So you got to get up really early because they do the mass usually like at six in the morning for her birthday. So they have to be there obviously early to to set up, to go sit and get everything ready for, you know, for them to sing in the choir. She was going to go with them, obviously. She was going to take her own car. I think she was going to work after or something. That's why she wanted to take her own car. And um, obviously, she never showed up. Chido's brother, Juni, checked in with his mother, Magdalena, and she verified Ophelia's memory. Chido's original plan had been to go into work after church. When Chido's mother, Magdalena, and stepfather, Lionel, returned after services, they found one of the family's cars missing. Not Chido's, but the one her mother usually drove, the Toyota Camry. There were other things out of place, too. Though Chido wasn't home, her purse and phone were in her room, and she never went anywhere without her phone. Her parents discovered that a rear window in the home was open, and the screen lay on the ground. They began to call their relatives, trying to discover if anyone had seen her. They would have called the police, but they didn't get the chance. Yuba County Sheriff's investigators arrived at their front door. The Camry had been found, driven into the nearby Bear River, but Chido had not been found with the car. 
Chido's friend Ophelia remembered when she first got word. That day that it all happened, I moved out. I lived on my own in the city in some apartments. But I had a job. I used to work at a gas station slash deli um, up there on Highway 20. So I'll, my schedule was always going in at 4.30 to 1. So um, she had invited me to go to the church for the Virgin Mary. But I had told her I can't because I had to go to work. I had to go to sleep early because I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go to work at 4.30. So we left it at that, you know, because she, she knew I worked. You know, I had to work, to, you know, because I live on my own. So I had to pay my bills, you know, my rent. So that's how it, it was. And then eventually I got a call from, from Ashley, which is my other friend. She's the one that told me about that they couldn't find her or anything like that. So, you know, I started crying and I felt like I needed to leave work. And then after that, I just went straight to to where her mom was, Mala. Did you immediately know that something was wrong? No, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that you like, you know, you see on TV people disappearing and stuff like that, but you just never think it's going to happen to you. It's like that, like, oh no, you know, she would never leave. She would never especially her family, you know, and she, no, it's just, we're going to find her, you know, there's something, you know, maybe she left somewhere or something. I don't know. You just start thinking like that, like she would never leave. So at first it was a little bit, okay, you know, we're going to find her, you know, she's eventually going to come home and be like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I had to go do this or something. The discovery of the Camry set off a search that spanned weeks. Investigators, dog handlers, and volunteers spread out across the county to search for Chido. No one suggested that she'd left town of her own volition. It was evident to everyone that something had gone very, very wrong. A tip line was established. Yuba County authorities began to fingerprint family and friends. They were trying to determine if that open window and the mesh screen found on the ground at the rear of the family home figured into her disappearance. Here's what her sister Marisol told us. After a few days have gone by, the family was always um, with us, family and friends. Every day there was always somebody at our house. (laughs) We had a lot of people over every day. And we had like, I don't know how to say in English, but we called it like oraciones. We would basically just pray. So we would come together every day and pray for her. It was just like family and friends that would come and we'd do that every day. And there was always people there with my family and supporting my mom. We had a lot of people bring food, neighbors, family and friends and other people, like I said, like the neighbors and stuff would come. Everybody, a lot of people were there. The community really was helpful. Chido's brother, Juni, the middle child also remembers the chaos and the comfort of that time, the uncertainty and fear, but also the sense that their small community was gathering around them and holding them close. But as a child, he wondered, what was his role? I didn't know how long everything was going to take to find out what happened. Because I remember going, we had flyers and just knocking on people's houses and walking around the town and neighborhood was really strange because people were coming over 
like the police and my family is like kind of became like a headquarters of we got to find out what happened. So I didn't really know what to do. And was your whole family at that point involved trying to be out as much as possible? Like you said, with the flyers and knocking on doors. Yeah, we're just out. And then there's like a lot of news people as well at that time. We're just interviewing my parents or like somebody from the police. That was just happening pretty regularly. Just people trying to get updates or see what's going on. A lot of the candlelit prayers, like at my house. Chero's friend Ophelia was there too. It wasn't just about being with the family. There was a lot of work to do. I helped a couple times to do like searches. Like we kind of went to areas that they thought maybe we could find something or where we used to, well, I used to live when I was around there. Her parents still live at the same house right now. But when um, there was um, our houses, there was like a feel more towards my side of the house. So we like all did like a search on that side just to see if somebody took her that way or something, or maybe she went that way somehow, just to see if we find anything. But of course, nothing. In a way, it's like you do want to find something, tracks or something of her, you know? But then sometimes it's like you don't because you don't want to think negative. It's, it's, just, it's just a scary moment, you know, like, you always try to stay positive about everything, you know? You don't want to think that she, she, she's gone. You just want to be like, okay, no, nothing happened. Like I said, like for me, it was more like maybe she had to run and do something. And she forgot everything, so she had to leave fast, you know? But then obviously the whole thing that she didn't take her car, that was off too. But she would not leave without her car. She loved her car. So, I mean, obviously the car was there. Things for her, her belongings were left behind. So, you know, that, that's not of her. Even if she was in a rush, you know, you would at least take your phone or, or your wallet. But things were left behind. America, Chido's cousin and one of her closest friends, was away at college at the time, and she was unable to return immediately. She felt the same dread and worry that Ophelia did, but she had to rely on messages and calls for information in those first weeks. Honestly, it's a blurb. I don't know if it was the first year of college or my second year of college. It might have been the second year of college. And it was around December, so finals were were around the corner. And by that time when I went off to college, my communication with Chido wasn't that frequent. It was more uh, like a text here and there. It wasn't really a lot of phone calls or anything like that because I was not home. I was far away and I was, you know, busy with schoolwork or working or whatever. But I definitely when I would come back home to visit, for example, I literally drove four hours from Monterey back home just to do Thanksgiving dinner, and then I left that night. That was a fun Thanksgiving because there we were dancing, we were eating, I was outside, it was cold. I remember it was really cold. So that Thanksgiving was the last Thanksgiving that we had with her. And then I, I, don't, I didn't come back, obviously, to, to visit and see any of my family, including her. Because November, so then in December, so I went back normal. I I was doing my own thing. I don't remember getting any text messages or phone calls from her or anything to like make me think that something was wrong or anything like that. 
I just remember my mom calling me when I was like on my way to class or something. And she was just saying, hey, we can't find your cousin. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, she's disappeared or she. So then she started giving me the details that she was aware of. Basically, she told me we can't find her and people are looking for her. When she told me that, I did feel like my heart kind of dropped, like how people describe it, because I did feel like an inkling, like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. I didn't think, oh, she probably went with her boyfriend. You know, I didn't think any of that. I was just like, oh, that's bad. That was my first reaction. And I remember I didn't go to my classes. I do remember that vividly, that I didn't go to my classes. And um, I, I was just really distraught about it about her not being where she needed to be. I think I, I looked up like missing people or something. I don't know. But then it, there is that, what is it, 48 hours? If you don't find someone within a certain amount of hours, it's very likely that they're dead. And me reading that, I was like, oh, so she's dead. And so that was pretty traumatic. On December 29th, just after Christmas 2005, KXTV News 10 announced that a reward was to be offered in Chido's case. Specifically, quote, the Sun Carrington Foundation offered $5,000 for information about Chido Garibay. Based on our research, this foundation provided rewards for about a decade in missing persons cases until roughly 2009. Per the Modesto B, rewards always had an expiration date, and the foundation was established to provide local families with resources to bring forward tips and cases. It was established after the disappearance and murder of the founders, Francis and Carol Carrington's daughter and granddaughter, Carol and Julie Sund. But the 2008 recession hit the foundation hard, and they were no longer able to continue their support. The Carrington family had personally paid out more than half of the reward funds offered. But in Chido's case, in 2005, the reward stood, and it was an important tool in an attempt to gather information. And that's because, though the Yuba County Sheriff's Office had begun interviews of what would eventually be over 200, there was very little information coming in. How could someone disappear in broad daylight? How could a car be driven into a river without anyone seeing? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. On January 17th, 2006, Chido's family would finally have a few answers. Terrible ones. But they would only bring more questions. Just as the search for her was scaled back due to manpower issues, a discovery was made. The reports began to trickle in slowly to news outlets, though they would not be confirmed until the 19th. A body had been found. Per the Sacramento Bee, a local resident had come across something suspicious just a few miles from where the Toyota Camry was recovered. 
This residence, quote, truck became stuck in the mud on a dirt road near the Western Pacific Railroad track. While stuck, the residents spotted what appeared to be human remains. They had been, quote, wrapped in plastic. According to investigators interviewed by the Sacramento Bee, law enforcement believed that this decedent had at one time been submerged in water. Concrete blocks had been used to weigh down the plastic. But recent rain had affected water levels in the area and brought the body to a ditch where it was visible from the surface. But, detectives told the paper, that time spent underwater meant that the decedent had been, quote, preserved remarkably well. Per the Sacramento Bee, the area was immediately marked off and treated as the crime scene that it was. But, because night was close to falling, the investigators waited until the next day to begin their investigation. They, quote, didn't want to disrupt anything or destroy any evidence at the scene. Instead, they placed guards overnight so work could begin in the morning. News began to travel through the small town. The most well-known and obvious missing person in the area was Chido, and it wasn't long until law enforcement arrived at her family's home. Every person we interviewed for this series talked to us about their memories of that day. America, Chido's cousin, recalled hearing first that human remains had been found. I do remember my mom calling me and saying they found her, they found somebody and they think, they think it's Chido. And I think now that, now that we're, as we're talking and speaking on this, I do remember getting that phone call and then me leaving Monterey and coming back home and meeting my mom. And the reason why I remember that right now is as we were talking about my aunt's presentation, how she looked and how I picture her. During all of that time, one image really comes into mind it was when they found her body that day that I came back and the detectives came through the door and they said, we found her body, we want you to identify her. And my aunt kind of collapsed in my grandma's um, arms and she almost kind of like fainted, but, but still was awake and there. And so... I think my aunt Carmen was there and she like was freaking out too because my aunt was almost like a rag doll, just like limp. And I was the only one that spoke English at that particular moment. So the detectives asked me, I don't know how they presented the information, but they said, we need somebody to identify her body to ensure that we, that it's the right person. And so I was just sitting in the couch, kind of like almost like melting in the couch as I'm witnessing. It was like a slow motion bit movie, like detectives come in, my aunt's eyes meet the detective. She looks like super distraught and horrified. And then they have the envelope in their hands and they said, we need, we need somebody to identify the body. And she collapses. And so then I felt like, oh, like I felt like I needed to be in a way strong in that moment so that my aunt didn't, you know, see even more turmoil. So then they did show me the picture. I was just top of her body and I can see her boots, her brown boots that she always wore. So she had her brown boots and I think she was, I don't know what else she was wearing, but it was definitely her, like her clothing. I think it was a, like, I don't know if it was a jacket. 
that she always wore, but the, the clothing items that were that she was wearing were hers, and it was her body shape. It was her. America had identified Chido's clothing, and the Sacramento Bee later reported that a scar on Chido's abdomen was also used as identification. But there was more needed from the family. Here's what Magdalena told us about the discovery and what she was required to do as well. Me vinieron a decirme, vinieron a avisarme que se había encontrado el cuerpo. Vinieron ellos, pero todavía no me daban el cien por ciento y. Magdalena told us, quote, they came to tell me that they had found the body. The police came, but they weren't going to give me a 100% confirmation. When they came, they told me that I had to go to the dentist I used to take her to. I went right away. They gave me all the records, x-rays and paperwork, which I then took to the detectives so they could confirm. And they did. It was her. Marisol and Junie remember being at school when the news came that Chido had been found, or rather, they remember being taken out of school and brought home to receive news. They knew that something was wrong. I remember they checked me out of school, and I actually had um, one of my mom's friends worked at the school, and she was the one that was taking me home. They didn't say why, but I kind of already had a feeling that it was going to be about her like maybe she was found or something and I just remember there was a lot of people at my house lots of cars and they took me in and I saw a lot of people crying everybody was crying so like I kind of already knew then that it was bad news I just sat next to my mom and I remember the sheriff or the detective at the time kneeled down like got to my level and I remember him telling me that she was dead. It's devastating to think of you at that age getting that news. Yeah, it was pretty hard. And yeah, it was sad. It's rough. It's something you'll never really forget. I remember my mom being really sad. And I just remember most of my family just being sad because I think they were just hoping Maybe she was still alive out there somewhere. And then I'm pretty sure there was somebody from the news was at the house that day because the police came to inform my mom. But yeah, I would say a pretty sad day for sure. Was the news there kind of right away? I remember a couple of news stations from Sacramento and like the two regular and then the one that's in Spanish. I think Univision or one of them, but I just remember some news station being at my house pretty regularly, daily or every other day for quite a while, to be honest. Hansel, Junie's cousin and closest friend, told us hearing the news was like sinking into a kind of shock. I feel like it was very surreal to me because I didn't really understand what was going on at all because we were going to the vigils and stuff like basically daily at that point at my tia Mala's house. So we were going to the vigils and the news was there every day. Well, specifically like the, the Latino news station was there like basically every day and they were helping us and stuff. I didn't really have a full grasp of the situation until we got like 
the bad news that they had found her body. And then I just remember, like, the only thing I remember about that was going to school, walking to class in the gym because I had PE in the morning. And I guess for the relationship with this teacher, I was also an avid at the time. So this this person was my PE teacher, and they were also my AVID uh, teacher, which was advancement via individual determination for like programs to like help kids succeed that were from non-traditional backgrounds, I guess. So this is a this was a teacher that I had for PE, but also for this other class where they were like deeply invested in helping like kids from underserved communities succeed. So they they were very helpful in any sort of like progress I'd made at that point. And I had that news in the back of my head. And then I got to class and I went to go sit down on like on my grid for starting off like the morning stretches or whatever. And then I just remember like it just hit me like at the bottom of my stomach. And then I just started sobbing. And then she came over and just helped me. And yeah, that's like. Oh, I really remember from hearing the news. Like, I don't remember where I was when I first heard it or anything like that. I just remember, like, it didn't really make any sense until I got to class. And then I saw that teacher and then I just, I I don't know, like, I didn't know what to do. It was hard on the younger kids at school, too. Even though the community was supportive, other students couldn't understand what it was like for Chido's brother and sister and cousins. A missing sister. And now... A murder. It felt like eyes were on them as they all tried to deal with their grief. I would say when I got back to school, it was pretty accommodating, I would say at first. And then maybe after a little while, it was just kind of not something I feel like people really asked me or talked about. I do remember somebody, (laughs) a friend, but I think it's just because we were young he pretty much criticized me for not, he didn't see me cry or appear sad. So he thought I didn't care about my sister, but he didn't know that earlier that day in my first period PE, when we were jogging around the track, I started crying because I was thinking about my sister. So I remember that because he had seen my cousin cry. And so I was just at lunch being normal. So I remember that. That was really strange. I was like, I am sad just because I'm not crying right now or I appear sad. So so imagine if if he thought that maybe other people could think it as well. I don't know. Ophelia, one of Chairo's best friends, talked to us about her reaction to the news of the discovery of Chairo's body. You don't want to get those news like that, you know? For me, it was always like, no, she's going to come back. You know, maybe she just went somewhere. I don't know. You just try to make up stories in your head, I guess. Like, maybe she's this. Maybe she did that. Maybe she went this way, you know? Eventually, she'll call us. Eventually, this or something, you know? You always try to think, like, she's going to be back, you know? And everything's going to be fine. You know, she's going to tell us what happened, and that's it, you know? And obviously, that's one of the worst things to hear, you know? Especially, like I said, is. It's something that you see in the news and stuff like that. You just never think it's really going to happen to you or someone close to you, you know? And I don't know, she was another sister to me. 
The Appeal Democrat reported that, through various fundraising efforts, the community raised more than $4,000 to help Charo's family cover funeral and memorial expenses. And when the time for that service came, hundreds of people attended her funeral. Per News 10, many attendees, quote, came in pink clothing and carried pink flowers to honor Chairo. Pink was her favorite color. At the service, Chairo's cousin, Christina Navarro, told reporters, quote, All I want is for them to get the person who did it to her. I know they will be found. They will be found. Everyone in Chairo's life began to focus on their new reality. The homicide investigation into Chairo's death, not the hope that she might return home. And that investigation was, at least for the next few months, well covered in the local media. Details began to emerge. Per the Sacramento Bee, on January 19th, authorities had released the cause of death for Chairo, quote, blunt force trauma to the head. They did not release details regarding where the crime scene might have been, but Undersheriff Steve Durfer did tell reporters that investigators were operating under the theory that, quote, the killer is someone she knew. He, quote, confirmed there were no signs of a struggle at the family home. Law enforcement also thought that Chido had died soon after her disappearance. Undersheriff Durfer told the Bee, quote, at this point, we're not calling any one individual a suspect, and we're not discounting a theory. According to the same Sacramento Bee article, local authorities weren't the only law enforcement involved in Chido's case. The California Department of Justice's forensic team had supplied experts to, quote, comb the family car and scour for other evidence. In an Appeal Democrat article, then under Sheriff Durfer noted that the department would aggressively be pursuing the case and that they were actively conducting interviews and gathering witness statements. By April of 2006, almost four months to the day after Chido's disappearance and death, her family held a gathering. It was on April 10th, her birthday. They also marked the occasion for the larger community who'd surrounded them and supported them. A newspaper scan in the Appeal Democrat archives still exists of the ad her family took out to mark the occasion of Chido's birthday. It reads as follows. Chido Garibay Ferreira, 20 years old, April 10th, 1985 to December 11th, 2005. Monday, April 10th, 2006. A very special date because it is your birthday. 21 years ago, a light came to us to brighten our lives, and that light is you. Even though you're not physically here with us, you will always be in our minds and hearts. Happy birthday, wherever you are. We love you and miss you. Mom and Dad, Itora tu familia. By the one-year anniversary of Chido's death, no suspects had been announced in her case. As her family planned a memorial mass at St. Joseph's Catholic Church, a few friends had expressed frustration at the lack of arrests or movement to the local papers. Investigators responded, also in print, that the investigation was intense and ongoing. On December 12th of that same year, Word came that a request for then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to grant a $25,000 reward in Chido's case had been granted. This was a major gain for her case, as governor's rewards never expire, and the $5,000 originally granted by the foundation in her case would expire. 
This reward was specifically requested by then-Sheriff of Yuba County, Virginia Black. An official statement from the governor's office ran in the U.S. State News. The Appeal Democrat reported that Chido's one-year memorial service was so well attended that attendees, quote, spilled out into the aisles. There were friends dating back to elementary school, along with co-workers, family, customers she'd known from the video store, supporters from church, and strangers from surrounding towns who joined in on the search for her. Along with the memorial was hope that the new reward would bring forward tips. But just four months later, in April of 2007, Chido's birthday month, a short column appeared in the Appeal Democrat, noting that, quote, leads had dried up. By 2008, the second anniversary service, Under Sheriff Durfer was now the sheriff of Yuba County and addressing Chido's case again. He told the Appeal Democrat that the department had been in regular contact with Chido's family and that her case, quote, had been among the most intense and difficult his agency has faced in his more than 20 years on the force. And that, quote, Despite a $25,000 reward the state offered for information leading to an arrest and conviction in the case, law enforcement agencies had no new leads since the early weeks of the case. He expressed hope that the mass held in Chido's honor would attract more attention to her case. Chido's family spent plenty of time going over any possible connection that could shed light on her case. After all, Law enforcement felt it was someone who knew Chido. When thinking through issues that she'd had prior to her disappearance, the only major problem they were able to pinpoint were some personal issues she'd mentioned a few months prior to her disappearance. Chido's Aunt Carmen told us about one point that she remembered that Chido came to her with, upset about. Boy trouble. Como, este, que serían unos... Este, dos meses antes de que, de que pasara lo que pasó, ella vino muy triste aquí a la casa conmigo, este, eh, llorando. Y, y yo le digo, mija, ¿qué tiene? Here's what Carmen told us. And just to note, these are her memories of her conversation with Chido. We were not able to initiate contact with the man in question to learn about his memories or his version of the last months of their relationship. Here's what Carmen said. Quote, About two months before the incident, she came to my house crying and upset. I asked her what was wrong, surprised because I never saw her like that. She was so emotional she couldn't speak, so I took her to her room and told her she could talk to me. She told me that her boyfriend and her broke up. I told her not to worry. Even if she liked him, if he ended it, maybe it wasn't for her. I told her to try to overcome it. If he cared for her, he would reach out again. That time, she was very sad. Ya, yo no, yo después supe que creo este era una relación medio problemática, pero yo ya no. Carmen also told us, quote, I knew it was a somewhat problematic relationship. But after that, I don't know if they saw each other again. When everything was happening, that guy was here, seemingly worried about Chido. I only knew him because I would see him at events, but I didn't know him beyond that. So, I don't know what he was like. This was the same young man who, early in the reporting on Chido's case, was quoted at least twice in the papers during search efforts. Marisol also remembered seeing him getting fingerprinted, along with the rest of the family, early on in the case. 
We didn't see mention of him again in early reporting after the initial search. We're told that he returned to his home country for some period of time, then came back to the United States. When we spoke with Yuba County officials, they indicated this trip seemed to be part of the normal course of life and not a sudden decision made after Chido's disappearance. In 2011 media reporting, Chido's boyfriend, or possibly ex-boyfriend, if what she told Carmen is accurate, was described by law enforcement as, quote, a person of interest in the case, who could not be further questioned because he was out of the country at that time. But, according to our conversation with Yuba County Sheriff's Office, he has since returned to the United States. In 2016, a media report described him in relation to Chido's case as, quote, cleared. But the Yuba County Sheriff's Office corrected that for us. Based on a review of Chido's case file, they say that no one has been cleared in her case. They don't want to rule out any possible leads at this time. America, Chido's cousin, remembers seeing Chido's former boyfriend in their neighborhood at one point, but it was while she was still in college, so probably in the range of 2006 to 2010, as she'd already begun her schooling when Chido disappeared. She saw the young man working at a business owned by his relatives. One of her relatives went and spoke to him, and the young man indicated he hadn't hurt Chido. In a case with so many unknowns, and with so little information available to investigators and to Chido's family, America and everyone else were left to wonder about a lot. The scenarios of what might have happened to Chido Garibay in a five-hour window on a Sunday morning in 2005. There were too many possibilities and no answers in sight. Next time on The Fall Line, the second decade of Chido's case and an interview with the Yuba County Sheriff's Office on where her homicide investigation stands today. Please be sure to join us then. There's a $50,000 reward available in Chido's case. If you have any information, you can contact authorities in the following ways. Yuba County Sheriff's Office has an anonymous tip line at 530-749-5181. Their tip email is ycsoanonymoustips at co.yuba.ca.us. If you know of a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link to our case submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening. The Fall Line is an independently produced show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIA, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, join us on Patreon. We're raising Patreon funds to continue to pay for the Millbrook Twins billboard and to fund therapy for families who've been on the show. Each and every one of our patrons helps us continue that work, and we're so grateful. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes for $5 a month, as well as occasional bonus content. If you prefer Apple Premium, we've begun that feed as well you have an alternative way to contribute. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Warders, Kiana Burgess, and Michaela Morrow. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. 
Translation and Spanish Interviews, conducted by Guadalupe Lopez. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd, Liz Lipka, and Sarah Turney. Our monthly donation is currently going to Season of Justice to support their family grant initiatives. So far, three families who've appeared on the fall line have billboards fully funded by Season of Justice family grants. Many more families tell us they have applications in, and we hope to update you on their progress soon.